With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, we've had a number of interesting guests on the show. We've had a bunch of race car drivers. We've had crew chiefs. We've had mechanics. We've had journalists. We've had authors. Um, this is the first force, though. Our guest tonight is a filmmaker. Um, her name is Jenna Ricker. She is the director of the new ESPN 30 for 30 documentary entitled Qualified uh, that follows the story of Janet Guthrie. Uh, prior to doing that, she's done such films as Ben's Plan and The American Side. And uh, she's won some festival awards. And I- I'm just thrilled to have her uh, on the line with us. Jenna, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Frank. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, oh no, thank you. Um, now, my first question is, did you have any you know, passion or love of auto racing at all before you took on this project? And then my follow-up question is, is how was it that you became attached to this project? And, you know, was it something that was sort of your brainchild or were you brought in? Uh, great questions. So, you know, I, I grew up with my dad, you know, tuning the radio to the indie broadcast as a kid. But to be honest, it was just something that my dad did. And we watched the, you know, tape delayed later on at nighttime. And, you know, there was AJ Foyt and Rutherford and all those guys from the seventies and eighties that I knew of peripherally. So I was not really a race fan. And then about 10 years ago, I got asked to attend my first Indy 500 and I was a little skeptical. I thought it's going to be hot. 500 miles is a long time. Like, I love sports, but do I really want to do this? And um, I was I was told I would I wouldn't be disappointed, and I wasn't. I instantly fell in love with the Indianapolis 500 in general, you know, or specifically rather. Um, but then just all of the dynamics that go along with motorsports, and it was just fascinating to me. And I was so overwhelmed with the epic nature of the event itself at Indy. Uh, and then I started, you know, doing, you're tapping into NASCAR, tapping into um, Formula One. Now, I'm definitely not an expert, but I enjoy it. And I enjoy the massive amounts of unknown quantity that goes with the sport that I just find fascinating. Um, so that was, that's me in motorsports. But Janet's story about, I, about three years ago. I was uh, on doing the road trip to Indy. I live in New York City. We were doing the road trip to Indy that we do every year. And it occurred to me that I didn't know who the first woman was. I knew there was a woman in the 80s, which is Lynn St. James. But I didn't know. I couldn't recall her name. And I definitely knew it wasn't the contemporaries like Sarah Fisher, Danica Patrick. So I asked um, Greg Stewart, who is my co-producer with a lot of projects and, in fact, worked on this uh, documentary as well. And he's the one who brought me to Indy. And I said, who was the first? And he immediately said, Janet Guthrie, 1977. I looked her up. I got her, I got a hold of her autobiography. It was an, it's an amazing read. And I called her up and uh, 
surprised her and asked her if uh, she'd be willing to talk with me about doing this documentary. Went out to Aspen, Colorado, where she lives, sat with her for a couple days, and then pulled together a pitch and came to ESPN with it and said, hey, listen, we think we have a really good story here and a really specific angle that, excuse me, that goes beyond her just being the first, but talks about what might have been if she'd had the right equipment and had the right sponsorship, what might have been if she'd started younger, you know, just sort of opened up the story a little bit more than just what we'd sort of seen in little promos here and there over the years, you know, around Janet. So that is how the project came to be. That's uh, that's really neat to know that this whole this whole project is your baby. That That's really cool. And you've got to see the whole thing from start to finish. Yeah. Now, my, my next question for you is now the prior films you've made are narrative um drama and um some of them low budget you know some of them a little more but now you're you got a studio funded project and it's a documentary style which is a little different because you're combining your interview segments with archival footage and whatnot so as a as a film director how did you kind of have to change your approach to to assemble the documentary style of film um, well, you know, yeah, my, my stuff was narrative, you know, I wrote and directed him. Uh, this was, you know, what you have to change is how it comes together in the edit. When you write a script, you, and you shoot the script, you know what you've got and you know how you're going to either save things, lose things, maneuver things, etc. With something like this, I knew the bones of the story that I wanted to tell. And I knew, so many aspects of her life, but it would depend on how the interviews went and what the interviews gave us to work with. Um, and then one of my big goals before we even began was to see how much of the film we could tell archivally. And it wasn't until maybe a couple months in that we realized we were going to be able to do that, which was really exciting. Um, and part of the reason I wanted to tell so much of it archivally which, you know, essentially the whole film's archival, except for the contemporary interviews, is because I didn't know who Janet Guthrie was, and I know I'm not alone in that. And I felt like when I started to see all this archive and see how much she was in the news and in the newspaper all the time, that I felt like that was a really great way to reintroduce her to audiences. All of a sudden, they're thinking consciously or subconsciously, oh my God, there's Janet Guthrie is everywhere in the late 70s. And I thought that that would be a valuable way to experience her story as she experienced it in as much as you could with quote unquote real time, you know, with the archive. Um, so that was the approach. But I have to say, like, the, like I said, the challenges for me from coming from a narrative to the documentary were more about shaping those story points I hoped we would find and indeed did find um, in the edit versus knowing you have them going into the edit, which is what you do with the narrative. So it was kind of a, a search and rescue mission <laughs> in a way. Yeah, so I take it you were very involved in the process of looking through the archival footage and just decide what would go in the film and would, what would not. Yeah, yeah. very much my, so. I'm, I mean, we my, were looking at archives. I'm oh, sorry. My, I'm sorry. My favorite was the old Texaco commercials. I thought those were, I thought those were really cool. It brought back memories of, uh, you know, when you had to, when you had to punch a, a hole on top of your oil can. So, but, yeah. but go on. No, it's true that the Haviland commercials were hilarious. Um, yeah, no, it, it was, uh, it was a joyous discovery. Like we had, 
we knew we had a lot of stuff between ABC and NBC uh, in terms of race coverage. But then when we discovered I was in Aspen with another one of our producers, Nina Christic, uh, she and I went out there to do a little bit of an archive reconnaissance and Janet's personal archives. And Janet had all these super eights from her road racing days. And then her brother had all these super eights from her indie days. And it was like a gold mine to find that stuff. And, you know, there's a moment in the 78 race, I shouldn't give anything away. So there's a moment in the 78 race where something, you know, drastic happens to Janet just before the race begins. And when we saw archive of that sitting with Janet in her home, I, I knew we were good to go to tell the story archivally. And it was a pretty great moment. Yeah, so I can assume that most of these, the the you know the so-called home movies from Janet, there these these will be seen by the public for the first time, correct? Absolutely. There's a ton of never be seen, never before seen footage uh, that includes her archive, some of the photographs and imagery um, that we were able to get a hold of, and yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. Now you've got a, a number of really big names in here that you've interviewed. I mean, A.J. Foyt's in the film. Um, we see Johnny Rutherford, uh, Linda Vaughn, um, you know, Donald Davison uh, helped you out, um, Jim Lindholm, Dick Simon. Uh, but it, it didn't, you know, go past me that that her two two biggest vocal critics of the day being Bobby Unser and Richard Petty appear archivally, but they're not part of the interview segment. Uh, is there anybody that you reached out to to put in the film that, that either declined or or it was unavailable or, or was just by design? Uh, no, it wasn't necessarily by design. To be honest, in terms of Richard Petty, we just didn't know if how much NASCAR we were going to be able to cover um, going into the film. You know, this is the first film I've done that's going to broadcast and there's very specific time limits on that. So we had to really shape the story around, you know, you wanted to talk about that amazing run she had in NASCAR but we weren't going to be able to give it the kind of depth comparatively to the indie runs that she had, you know? So we, we kind of knew that going in. So, so Richard Petty was somebody that we felt like if we could have him live in archive, that might be able to at least give us the flavor of, of that experience for her and her experience with him. Uh, with Bobby, um, we did want to interview him and at first he declined. Then, um, I came home one day to a wonderful voice message on, on my answering machine that I haven't erased um, from Bobby. And he and I spoke at length and, you know, it became a creative decision because he's such a, you know, such a character and he's such a great racer. Uh, but, you know, his viewpoint seemed to, I, I don't want to, I don't want to take anything away from his viewpoint on Janet, but it didn't seem to have, uh, not so much that it hadn't evolved. It's just that as we spoke, the the drum that kept getting beat was, you know, she she didn't belong there because she was a woman. And I just sort of felt like that wasn't, we didn't have, if that was what we're going to go to Albuquerque and here, we already had that in archive, you know? So I sort of felt like, hmm, I don't know. Now, you know, he's he's such a character and he's so fascinating. And it could very well be that there was more depth there, Um but as I said, like at some point you have to make budget choices and you have to decide what you think, you know, you might be able to um, gain from an interview to add another spectrum or another color to the whole story. And at some point, as we got closer to to having to lock the picture, 
I think we all sort of decided it was better just have Bobby live in archive. Yeah, I probably agree with that because you know, I've had several conversations with Bobby Unser and he uh, he's better in archive. But uh, he is, like <laughs> you said, he's an interesting character. But uh, I mean, we had him on our show actually, and all yeah. he could say is that nobody would nobody would care to watch races these days because they they don't want to worship a computer. They appreciate the driver. So but, right, but that, right. That's, that's that's Bobby Unser for you. So and Bobby's now, my, old school and and yes, yeah, very old his, school. Yeah, yeah, and and you know he he comes from a time. When racing was a was a male dominated rough and tumble uh, atmosphere, and and basically a lot of those uh, you know attitudes come from from those days, and you can you know uh, put a lot of guys in that in that thing. It's so much different today than than it than it was back then. You know the the attitudes and the openness are, are a little more uh, well. The sport is basically more open to it than it was back in the day. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't have, he didn't have a wrong stance insofar as his big concern was that she was making a leap from the sports cars to the open wheel cars. And she was only doing that. She was only getting that opportunity because she was a woman. Now she was making that leap and it was a big leap. And to her credit, I think she proved she could do it. But I could understand the argument of like, hey, it's not fair that she's just leaping into this sport. But he couldn't get past at some point, no matter what she did, right. that she was a woman. And as she says in the film at one point, you know, if I got this opportunity because I was a woman, there were so many more opportunities I didn't get because I was yeah, a woman, he, which is very true. The, and part of that goes back to the to that old school attitude where y- you had to, whether you were a male or female, in those days, you had to earn and gain the respect of mm-hmm. men like Mario Andretti and Bobby Unser and Al Unser and A.J. Foyt because these were tough-minded guys, and, and, and they understood people that, that understood them and raced with them, and, and that respect came from uh, success. You know, they respected their peers that, that shared the same success that, that they did to a certain degree and a certain level. And I think a lot of it, you know, uh, that's why they kind of look down on Janet to, to some degree because she, you know, she didn't share their success. And I'm talking about wins and things like that. But, you know, uh, the thing that, that to me that impressed me about Janet, um, was um and i and i'll say it like this the late fireball roberts said many 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 years ago the greatest compliment you can pay someone in our sport is to refer to them as a racer and that the term racer uh goes to the struggle the the sacrifice the 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 uh determination that that people in our sport share whether you a driver or mechanic or owner or whatnot, just that that uh, determination to succeed in the sport, to get to get to 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 get into it and and to survive in it, and um, you know that's that's a, that's still common today. I mean, do you, you refer to one of your peers in the sport as a racer? It, it's a compliment, you know, to his to his character in our sport, and that's what you know. Janet was a racer. Because she made the sacrifice and she made, um, um, 
she did it her way. She came up and did the stuff that grassroots racers do to, to get to the next level. And I don't care whether you're male or female, uh, what, you have to respect and admire those qualities in someone that, that is following their dream and following their passion. Yeah, I'm so glad you bring that up because that is one of the things for me, you know, having finished her book and then started the massive amount of research on the other drivers and and the that era of racing, you know, and the sort of, you know, innovations that were still happening and the sacrifices and the deaths, you know, and the I mean, it was it was and is um, a sport that really requires everything of you, both before you're on the mm-hmm. track and then when you're on the track. And I just, um, I do feel like Janet really did at the, for where she could, there was no way she was going to get in there any other way than the way she did, frankly, right? In 1976, they're not combing any circuits to get women into open wheel racing (laughs) at all. So once you step aside from like how she got in there, she, she hadn't sort of done the sprint car, work your way up, um, aspect but when she got there and proved she could stay there i mean this is a woman who gave up a career in aeronautical engineering who went broke building her own engines to Mm -hmm. race in these road races and just did everything she could do to make it as a professional racer and when that opportunity comes i don't care who you are as a as a racer or a driver if someone comes to you and says listen if you want to drive this car and we can make this car go do you want to take a shot at this I, i don't know who would say no to that you know, no if they're one, a racer, no right? No so, one. so yeah, so I just, her tenacity and her single-mindedness was just so admirable. And, and to be honest, as a female director, I had a lot of my own kind of kinship to her experience insofar as, you know, to make a movie, you can't do it on your own. You need somebody to back you financially, you know, you like a sponsor, you need uh, a team that comes together that helps you get the get the film up and running and across the finish line. And I just had so much there was it was odd to me and kind of funny that I started to find myself relating in my own experiences um, as a filmmaker to what she was doing as a race car driver, obviously not life yeah. and death, <laughs> but, 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 but because you faced the same barriers, a lot of the same barriers you had to overcome to, to Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba casino this year. I was only playing for fun. So winning this was a dream come true. Chumba casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner you know make your way in your chosen field yeah i I can understand that yeah you know there's a couple of um there's another producer there's four producers on this that were just an awesome awesome team to work with myself uh a woman named caroline waterloo who was the producer for the oj made in america doc uh espn's i think it was a six eight part series Mm mm-hmm um, about OJ, Nina Christic, um, and Greg Stewart. I think this was just such an awesome, vibrant team. And we all, especially the, you know, Nina and Caroline and I, we all, you know, had those moments where the eyes in the room shift to the, whoever the man is with you when you're the one who's in charge of a project, you know, and it's, we're getting somewhere, <laughs> but, 
those moments still happen. And so again, yeah, like you said, I could really, I had moments where I was like, Oh boy, Janet, I 40 years later. And I, I know that feeling. Now, Seth, uh, I want to bring you into the conversation because I know uh, you've got uh, a couple of questions or comments. Yes, I do. Uh, as you said, Janet Guthrie uh, wasn't always in the best equipment. Sometimes she wasn't even given the best equipment. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you believe are some of the important lessons or takeaways from her story? That's God, Seth. That's a good one. Um, I mean, on the on the one hand... I think one of the takeaways in a more aspirational way is if you want to do something, you find a way to do it. And that's, you know what I mean? Like the, and that's her inspirational side in the sort of technical side as a racer, you know, I asked her if she ever regretted saying no to Pat Patrick, for example, who did ask her to leave Rollin and join his team. And she said she never once regretted it. And I think she knew as a racer, perhaps at 39 at the time, I think she was 39, one year into a full year of racing. And, you know, the other drivers that Pat Patrick had, these were guys he had put a lot of time and money behind. She may have been left behind, you know, he may have given her like one ride and then taken it all away. And I think she wasn't sure how that would have gone, I should say, you know? And so when it comes to the equipment and the opportunity, um, God, I, I don't know what the takeaway is other than what she did was to try to get the most out of her cars. And she really did do that statistically comparative to the drivers who had had the cars before her or after her. So she did have a talent for making, you know, shit boxes as they like to call them, uh, mm-hmm. fly. Now she was a mechanic, you know, she was building her own engine. So it might've had something to do with that. I know that when I spoke with Phil Casey, um, amazing mechanic, um, and, and Kenny Azawa and Jim Lindham, all of her, you know, chief mechanics, they all said that she had this ridiculous knack to hear and feel things that, you know, you almost couldn't believe her. And then they take the, they take it back to the shop and they'd be like, damn it. She was right that is, there is something going on here. So she, and I think, I think that had to do with, you know, her building her own engine. So I guess the takeaway was, is if you're going to have to deal with some bad equipment, learn to know it and love it and see what you can get out of it. I mean, I mean, today too, the cars and chassis and the, the setups aren't, aren't as different as they were back then. So, you know, there's something to that too. And just being a NASCAR uh, guy on this podcast, uh, no offense, Gray, but uh, uh, I remember a story from when she ran the 600, which you do mention a little bit, not to give too much away from the doc, but uh, the story goes she was slow in practice, and one of the teams had been helping her effort out in part because of Humpy Wheeler, uh, the track promoter, was Junior Johnson's team. And he went over to her and asked her if she had really gone that slow, if she could really do this. When she said yes, he put Kale Yarborough in her car, and he went three miles per hour slower than her. Yeah. <laughs> and he looked at the crew chief, and his only comment was, give her the damn setup. Yeah. And he walked off. 
And yeah. in that race, uh, I actually looked at the stats. She beat a number of NASCAR Hall of Famers, including Bill Elliott, who lost an engine, I think, 20 laps ago, 30 laps mm-hmm. ago, something like that. So it's impressive nonetheless. And where she had a lot of criticism and was under a microscope throughout her entire career, do you think women, at least today, are getting a fair shake in motorsports? Um, you know, I don't I don't know that it's necessarily an equal shake um, is the best way to put it. Like if you to to win, you have to race to race. You have to have the sponsorship and the setups and all that stuff and the team. And so if you're going to progress and be competitive, you have to run more races. And I think what's happening still to some extent, I mean, Danica was an exception, I think, is that what's happening still is that a lot of women are getting one or two shots you know, only the big ones or only the marquee names. Well, you know, it's going to be hard to carve out a real presence that puts, moves the needle enough that a young woman coming up somewhere in this, you know, sprint tracks or go-kart says, hey, I know I can do it because so-and-so is doing it. You know, and I think subconsciously and consciously, that's what we all do as young people with dreams. We find people that look like us or, have, you know, goals like us and we emulate them. So if you're a young racer, a young woman, and you have only a handful of people that only pop up every once in a while, it can feel really like, well, I don't know if that's the way, if that's what I want to do. It doesn't seem to be working, you know? Um, so I guess that's a long way to answer the question that I think, I think people might, I think fans and ideally racers themselves are much more open to it than they were in 76 when Janet shows up. But I still think we have a long way to go to make it a viable reality for young women to pursue it as a goal. I remember as a little girl, I loved playing soccer and I was in the car with my dad and we were driving by um, Angel Stadium. I grew up in Southern California and we were driving by Angel Stadium and there was a soccer match going on. And I got so excited. And I said to my dad, I'm going to do that when I grow up. And he said to me, Oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. They don't have women's soccer. And at the time they didn't, you know? And so I just, I always think about that moment. It was like the first moment for me, I found out I couldn't do something because I was a girl or a woman, you know? And so I, I guess that we still have to move the needle on bringing women into the sport and finding a way to keep them there. And I totally understand that it is an expensive sport and it is hard for everybody to get sponsorship, you know, but I, I think, I think you have to have more women and more races who can then win and have a, an honest shot at winning before, you know, we can sort of say that we've turned a massive corner on it. And, yeah. Oh, uh, go ahead, Seth. I'm uh, sorry. This is, this is my last one. Uh, there's a, another NASCAR story uh, at Bristol one time. Janet Guthrie uh, <clears throat> was suffering, I want to say, from the flu. And mid-race, uh, Ricky Rudd had gotten in her car as a relief driver. And he said he could not believe the same people who were pulling over for him earlier were now fighting almost like to the death uh, with him because they thought it was still Janet in the car. Yep. And... He actually booted one out of the way who gave him a certain gesture, thinking it was Janet, <laughs> and post-race went looking for Janet, not knowing that Janet was sick and had left the track at that point. Uh, so I'm just curious, uh, 
how much differently do you think Janet on track was raised compared, not let alone the criticism she got off track? Yeah, unfortunately, I think that that was not an uncommon story. Ricky Rudd's story is not uncommon to her experience. I know that there was um, in 78 when she was racing the Texaco Star, you know, with the team she funded and, and built herself, basically, um, with a month to go to <laughs> to the race, which is just insanity. But when um, when she was doing that, George Bignotti was helping out a lot with the team. And at one point... Um, Gordon Johncock got in the car to shake it down and he came back and he was furious. He like threw his helmet. He was furious because he was being treated similar to Ricky Rudd. And he sort of was his first awareness that like, holy crap, (laughs) this, this is what you're dealing with out there, Janet, you know? And so I think, I don't think it was uncommon and it's really scary because we know how dangerous the sport is uh, on a good day. But to have that, to be having to face that down when you race every time, you know, there were slower cars that want to get out of the way when she would race. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's that thing where like, you know, there's, there's racing and there's being a rookie and then there's what Janet had to deal with, which was a whole other level. Right. And it comes back around full circle to the attitudes that guys like Bobby Unser and some of those guys had, you know, and it, and, and it's a respect thing, you know, uh, in their eyes, and that's mm. why they get. That's why they raced her a, a, a certain way, and it, and it and it goes on today. I mean, it, you know, even you know whether you're male or female, you have to earn the respect of the so-called hot dogs, you know, in the sport. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting though is that, you know, the AJ Foyt, for example. I mean, I don't think you get any more bravado than AJ. You know, mm-hmm. and he felt very much like. You know, the, the racer, the competitor that is AJ looked at her as just another competitor. If she can do mm-hmm. it, great. It's one more person for me to beat. Right. And I just so admired that mindset. I know he was somewhat in the um, uh, minority with that yeah. in terms of those those top racers. But, you know, a lot of the guys did come around. It's just that we're lucky Janet didn't get into some horrific accident yeah. in the meantime, you know, but they did come around. I, I think Bobby, I, you know, Petty may have come around for all I know, but, um, I know guys like Daryl Waltrip and some of those, those guys came around and, 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 and she earned their respect and, and their admiration for, for what she did. But, you know, it goes on, it, it goes on back in the pack. You know, there's a lot of guys out there that, that are, that week in and week out are racing, you know, for their livelihood and, and, and race from 15th to, to, to 30th back in the pack. And those guys race tooth and nail for mm-hmm. everything they can get. And, you know, you throw someone in like in there like that, you know, they they are going to have less respect for her than, say, the, 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 the upper echelon the, in, in the sport. Right. I see. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. It's true. She was going to be in that pack. You know, mm-hmm. to your point, she was going to be in that, you know, front uh, front of the middle is kind of where she always landed. She seemed to often land in like, you know, 13th, 14th qualifying mm-hmm. position, at least at Indian NASCAR. She she qualified much higher at times. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah, I think that then you're talking about these guys trying to fight for position. And here she is. And, and what are we going to do with with this now? Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's bittersweet because there's a the part of me that totally understands 
that. And then there's a part of me that feels like, but for what, at what moment did it change for you guys when you saw that she wasn't, she wasn't engaging your lives. She could do, Mm -hmm. she could race, she could compete. And that's once I switch over to that side, I start to be annoyed with the the ones that couldn't get on with it. And she made it, she, she gave a good account of herself every time she got in the car. She, she wasn't in the way she was, she was competitive. She, she was, she got out there and she gave, she gave everything she could and got the most out of the equipment that she did. And, and, and she, I think a lot of times, uh, she beat a lot of guys. And, and I think that, that, you know, was, was another thing she had to overcome as well. Yeah, that's true. You know, the other thing that I had done at one moment and I, you know, forgive me, I'm not going to be able to, you know, pull the stats correctly. But at one point, I just wanted to see, you know, Janet had two, her second Indy, she finishes in the top 10 in, in the, in an Indy car that she's driving for the first time, for the first time that year, that whole season, you know, and I thought, well, how did some of these other racers that, you know, roll off the, our tongues, these champions, how did they fare in their second indie? How long did it take them to finish in the top 10? And it was really interesting. You know, Rutherford and some of these other guys, they were many more races, many mm-hmm. more indies and full seasons of indie cars before they finished anywhere in the top 10. And I just thought that was, you know, you know, racing is such uh, as detailed it's, sport. It's not yeah, just it's, like the fastest, you know, there's yeah. so many components, but I just thought that was so interesting. And each competitor has a rite of passage that they have to go through to to ascend, you know, mm. in the in the sport as well. Yeah, yeah. So, pretty interesting stuff. I love I love the fact that racing isn't just right, well, as simple. Well, go ahead, Jenna. <laughs> yes. No, I would just. Uh... We just, we're just running up, running up against our time limit for the segment. So I, I want to tell we're having a great conversation here, but uh, I really want to uh, thank you for coming on the show. The film is called Qualified. It's going to premiere on May 28th on ESPN Networks, and then there'll be a number of other broadcasts of that as well on ESPN. They, they, they'll show it on ESPN2 and you and that. So, um, so do you have any other screenings or events um, planned for – for the month of May in the Indianapolis area, as you've been doing? You know what? I, at the moment, no. Um, Janet's coming to New York uh, at the beginning of next week, and we'll be, you know, do going around and uh, talking about the film. But at the moment, I don't know if I'll get back to Indy before actually coming for the race. So, uh, so everyone should definitely mark their calendars for May 28th, 8 p.m. ESPN, and then check it on out from there. Look forward to it. Yeah. Thank so now, you, guys. Now, where can uh, folks uh, find you on social media or find more information about the film? And, or, or are there any other sponsors you need to plug, as I tell all my race car driver guests? <laughs> well, they they probably go on and on with the sponsor list. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just want to thank, I want to thank, you know, and put a shout out to my awesome team, Caroline Waterloo, Nina Christic, Greg Stewart, and then the folks at ESPN that believed in this project and got behind it. Um, it's been an awesome ride at this time last year, we were heading out to Indy to start doing our interviews with everybody. So it's been a good, good, long, happy, profitable year. So, uh, on social media, I mean, you can follow me 
you know, you can find me just by my name. Um, then I have a website for another film that uh, you can look at too for the American side. But in terms of ESPN and Qualified, their website, ESPN 30 for 30 Films, um, you can uh, track us down there and then see the movie. All right, well, that sounds great. And my, my other plan is to watch the American side because I'd read the description of the film um, where there, there's a detective trying to hunt down a missing Tesla device. I, I think this uh, this is right in my alley. I like uh, I like an interesting film like that. So yeah, I'm, it's, I'm looking uh, it's forward juicy. to watching that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can feel free to call me if you need any plot um, insider things because it's pretty. It's you know it's noir. It's pretty dense and pretty twisty. Yes. So here's, here's very complex. That's that's my kind of movie. I'm looking forward to that. So awesome. But, but thank you again for coming on the show, and we will. Uh, we will be following up with you on social media. Um, again, May 28th, the film is called Qualified. You'll find it on ESPN. Um, so, so best of luck to you, Jenna, and we hope to uh, talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you guys so much. Enjoy the rest of the, the chat, and I'll see you at Indy. Yes, I'll see you at Indy. I'll be there. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com.